I'm here with Alan Owen from the uh, Copenhagen Business School, and uh, we're going to do a short interview about the relationship between science and society. Alan, how do you describe this relationship? I have two different feelings about science and society, really. On the one hand, it's a very good way of trying to get a sense of what the wider issues might be. So you get the notion that you must connect science and society rather than just assume, for example, that science can just sit all independent and on its own. So that's very beneficial. The downside is, and now I'm beginning to answer your question, that it can suggest that science is just one thing and we we know that that's not true, Mm. whether you're in physics or biology or chemistry. Um, there isn't just one thing even in that area. So and would you be more comfortable yeah. with sciences as a I guess it's about science. sciences, isn't it? It's mm. about scientific expertise. But then, again, you've got to say that science can be quite different when it's conducted, for example, in an industrial laboratory mm. compared to in um, a university facility. So definitely sciences. Um, words like heterogeneous tend to come in, which um, I guess is a complicated way of saying there's lots of different activities going on within that label. And on society, of course, every social scientist writing about anything just about um, since the 1980s is going to tell us that society isn't just one thing either. Mm. So you've got this quite complicated picture of different areas of science, society going through lots of change. And I think particularly in this area about science communication, the idea, of course, and this is you'll read this again and again, that there's no such thing as the public singular. There are many different publics, and even one individual can find herself a member of several publics at the same time. So at least the idea of its public suggests, well, who exactly are we talking about here? Are we talking about medical patients? Are we talking about people in the workplace? Are we talking about a community? There's lots of different publics at play. Would you say that there's been a... Uh, a significant set of changes in this relationship in recent years and and what might they be if you could characterise those? I think, yeah, it is quite striking in many ways. Um, If you go back to the late 90s till today, you can see quite a a transformation. And one way of putting this is if you'd asked me, if we've been sitting here in 1990 having this discussion, Mm. I wouldn't at all have seen the way in which talk of public engagement, for example, was going to become so prevalent. I say talk of public engagement because, as I'm sure we'll discuss, Mm. there are many issues about how that talk converts into practice. But I definitely didn't think that that was coming. And certainly, if you go back um, to the 80s, finding out what, for example, was even talked about on a scientific advisory committee was very difficult. We often had to go to the states to get access to information from the states and then recreate what the discussion must have been in Britain. Whereas now, you know, these committees meet in public. It's all on the website. Um, There's a much greater degree of openness. You can attend public meetings. So I think that is a change, um, certainly in the way in which institutions think about these things compared to the way they would have done it, say, in the mid-1990s. So would you say you were more confident about this relationship now than perhaps you would have been in 1990? I have confident. I think... um, Certainly you see changes. Um, You see in many ways a move to to greater openness. 
um, institutions have a lot of enthusiasm now to explain what they're doing to, to wider publics in a way that you wouldn't have seen that before. So I think those personally are good things. Mm. I mean, I think it, it's better. It draws people into debate. And in some ways, it creates a greater degree of confidence. The hesitancy you can hear in my voice, of course, is because, well, it's this word talk, isn't it? To what degree have these changes really shifted the way in which institutions mm. um, approach these issues? So is this just a fancy form of PR or are we talking about substantial changes? And my answer to that one is, quite frankly, the jury is out. You mm. can see partial progress. You can see areas where definitely – um, some good initiatives have taken place. But you can see many areas where mm, it's, it's harder to see substantial changes. It's as if you've gone from the old deficit theory based on public ignorance to a new deficit theory which says if we do these things, the public will learn to trust us and then we can just get on with what we wanted to do anyway. So would you characterise that as the greatest challenge facing public engagement with science? I think that's a, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I think I'd agree with that, that. It's a question of now we've all got into this new language of openness, admitting uncertainty, um, the importance of engaging with the public, the importance of – well, it's a two-way thing – the importance of trusting the publics in order that they will trust the institutions. Now that we've got all those things – uh, really embedding them in practice. And, but I want to say is, – it's a challenge – but I would want to say that that isn't a straightforward thing. If you look at a research council or um, a scientific body, you know, there are real substantial questions there about, OK, we can debate with the public, but what now do we do as a consequence? It's, mm. it, it just doesn't track one-to-one. -one. Mm. So on the one hand, I'm very critical of uh, the lack of change, but at the same time, you have to realize – it, there are good reasons for that. It's not always easy. And the public, as we've said already, doesn't speak with one voice. Mm. There are many different signals come out of that. If you could characterise one or two of the main reasons why you think that that has changed in the UK, what would they be? Well, a simple answer is to, to look at things like BSE, uh, mad cow disease, because certainly the story of BSE neatly straddles the move from the early 90s mm. um, where you can characterize the government reaction as don't confuse the public with uncertainty. Mm. I mean, that's quite a well-established thing. You heard that a lot in the 80s. If we don't know the facts, then we shouldn't be worrying people unduly. And I think that was quite sincere. It looks wrong now, but it was mm. quite yeah. sincere at the time. So, and then by the end of the 90s, with um, the eventual outcome on BSE about human um, deaths and um, infections. You had the um, way in which a new Labour government came in, very committed to opening out, um, having focus groups, mm. etc. That was also part of, of that change. That's a very simple way of putting it. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, I wouldn't like to say BSE did it because BSE could have been interpreted in lots of different ways. Mm. But I think one common conclusion drawn within government was that that old way of keeping the facts tight and trying to reassure the public simply backfires. Mm. And you can't start off being certain and gradually admit uncertainty um, because that always makes it look like you're holding back information. But, you know, BSE could have been interpreted as we need more experts. Mm. You know, the old experts screwed up and now yeah. we need better experts. It didn't have to be seen as part of that trust and openness. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.